so you can turn your Bibles to Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20, or just read it on the screen. I think it's working today. Um, so please stand with me as we read uh, from the Word of God this morning. We stand for a couple reasons. One reason we do believe it's the Word of God is holy, and so we do stand in reverence of that. And we also stand because it's a sign of God uh, moving in and through us, constantly speaking to us. Um, so please follow along with me as we read Matthew 18, verses 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Let's pray. God, this morning we come across a text that gives us Uh, So much direction seems so familiar that it can actually make us uh, pretty uncomfortable. So God, this morning I just pray that you will help us see and not just see and understand these things, but live it out. We're looking a lot at our lives this morning and our relationships with one another. And God, we can't make these things happen without you. So God, be in our ears today. Be in our minds, be in our thoughts, as we learn from your word. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, one thing that I did quite a bit when I was in Rome working with crew, and I even do it here a little bit as well in the United States, work with this uh, sort of a card activity uh, called solarium. Like solarium, the word soul is in it, but it's just kind of a, a way to get to know somebody a little bit better using pictures, more or less. I think we as people, especially as we have grown up in this technological age, that we are very visual in a lot of things that we do. A lot of the ways that we function, it's, it's very visual-based. And, and so this activity takes you through some questions and allows you to answer questions based on choosing a picture that helps you with that, okay? Rather than me just asking, hey, describe your life right now. It's very difficult. It's hard to do that. You could go anywhere with that. And if you don't know somebody, it can be pretty hard. Uh, But maybe you know somebody a little bit, want to get to know them better. You have these 50 pictures. They're all laid out. Choose a picture that best describes your life right now, okay? And then everybody that's doing this activity can look around, look, 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 see, oh, yeah, here's this picture. I have it right here. This is what it looks like. Um, so maybe you uh, pick a picture. I don't know if you can see this uh, bald dude with looks like 12 post-it notes on his head. And so maybe you see this picture and you think, yeah, I am very overwhelmed right now. And there's a lot of things on my mind. There's a lot of tasks that I have to do. And, and I just feel pressure. So by looking at a picture, we can actually describe and explain our lives a little bit better, I think. And it's really a a fun thing to do. I mean, I usually do it along with people as well, and they get to know me just as easily. And it's um, a series of questions. You know, you can ask that question, ask, what do you wish your life looked like right now? And maybe you see the picture of the girl running with red balloons, and you wish you had that freedom, that joy that that girl has running out on the grass and the sunshine. Um, And then a question that uh, is always my favorite is to ask people, 
how would you describe your spiritual journey so far? I mean, whether you're an atheist, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a Buddhist, no matter what you are, we all have a journey of some sort. So choose a picture that describes that. Um, and, and so one of my friends, when, when I was in Italy, uh, chose, chose this picture. I don't, know, I don't know how well you can see it. Again, the lights are funky. Maybe if I put it in front of the sparkles. Um, this picture is just a back alleyway. It's a little dark, a little dirty. Uh, and there's a bicycle here. Um, and it's uh, missing its tires. It's missing its wheels. It's pretty dirty. Uh, definitely not working. There aren't really cables. The gears are missing. And, uh, and so somebody picked this picture to describe their spiritual journey so far. And they said, you know, they used to have a spiritual life. And they used to ride their bicycle. And for so long, they haven't done anything in their relationship with God. And now they feel like their spiritual journey is, is like this bicycle. It's just old. It's run down. It has been taken care of. There's nothing going on. And I remember this answer uh, very well because I think it's, it's a really good answer. And I think it explains a lot about nature in our world today. Decay. The natural thing for things is decay. If you don't do anything to keep something up, if you don't do any upkeep, if you don't do any fixing, things are going to fall apart. And action has to be taken to avoid this decay. Okay, and so I think we see it in a lot of things that are physical. We see it in this bicycle. I think if you've ever bought a house in Cleveland, it probably had a ton of character, probably because it's old, and probably because you need to fix it up a lot. A lot of houses in Cleveland need fixed up, and it's because things naturally decay. That's just how it works. And so the beautiful thing, I think, about my friend's answer here was they were realizing that it isn't just a physical thing, but it is deeper than that, too. Seeing their spiritual journey as that. It's not just physical objects that decay, but even our, our relationship with God. That will decay if we don't do anything to keep it up. And it's not even just that. It's relationships with each other. If we don't do anything, if we aren't constantly fixing and keeping up our relationships with people, then they will fall apart. They will turn into this bicycle in the alleyway that isn't used anymore. It'll just be dusty, decrepit, won't work. And so what we need to do as believers is constantly fix our relationships. We need to be actively doing this on a consistent basis. We need to fix relationships and bring reconciliation with people. As things fall apart, as we grow distant from people that we were once close with, there can be this gap, and we don't want that as a believer We want to close that gap. We want to reconcile. The definition of reconcile is to bring back to a former state of harmony. Bring back to a former state of harmony. And honestly, I think it's pretty easy when we come to church to meet somebody in church, a fellow fellow believer. I think this happens in church a lot. Like I've said, I have never gone a week here and not met somebody new. And, And most of the time, it is another believer. And there is a connection that you make. When somebody else is, no, if you're not a believer, I'm not saying you don't feel connected and I can't feel connected to you. But when there is another believer that you meet, you can make this connection, I think, differently. It is a brother and a sister immediately, right? And this exists with fellow believers, and there's peace. And we want to keep that peace with one another, within the church, especially. And so when I say the church, I'm Talking about the church in terms of the body of Christ. If you have not done membership classes, 
Um, you should because you will have gone over these verses. And um, if you have done membership classes, it will be a little familiar for you. Uh, but the body of Christ, what we look at as a church, is looking at 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 27. We're not going to look at all those verses right now. Um, but you can write that down. 1 Corinthians 12. Take the membership class, learn about it a little bit. And what we learn about this is that when we are together in a church, we are one body, many members, many parts to this body. And we suffer as a body if one part, if one member suffers. We rejoice together if one person is rejoicing and if one person is honored. That's the church, the Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And there's a threefold purpose to the church. There's a threefold purpose to all churches, and especially our church. Acts 1.8 tells us it is one reason is to evangelize the world, to tell everybody that Jesus exists. And so we as a church exist, and people can see that through our body. 1 Corinthians 12.13, in that section, we exist to worship God. That's why we have corporate worship services as a church, as Gateway Downtown. And finally, we also exist to equip other members for ministry. See this in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. I want to read this one. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of their ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So these last verses here, I really want to key into. These are important as we head into Matthew 18 this morning. As we look at what we Christians within the church are supposed to do with one another is to love one another. We are to speak the truth in love. Showing love from one another, showing love to one another, is not always saying, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. It might be, but that's not always love. Love, as it says here, is helping us grow in him who is the head, Jesus Christ. Verse 15, love is preventing each other from being tossed to and fro by the waves, from the cunning schemes of mankind. Verse 14, and so love is not always easy. Love makes you uncomfortable a lot. But love is what we need within the church, and it's what we need in our everyday lives. And Jesus gave us this visual, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now this visual, I've always read it, and I haven't really thought too much about it, but it was a lot heavier for people at the time listening there in Matthew 5 than it is today. This is a lot different Because there weren't altars on every single street corner. We have a lot of churches in Cleveland. In every one of these churches, except for our church, really, are altars. Okay? We don't really have one. We have a comedy club. That's okay. Um, But it's not the same in Israel. In Israel, they had one altar. 
And so you weren't just walking over to the corner to the altar to give your sacrifice. You might have to travel. You might have to go far. It might take you a day, maybe more, to get there. And so Jesus is telling them that if you have traveled all that way, you've made it to the altar, and all of a sudden you realize that there's something wrong, that your relationship isn't fixed, that there's something wrong, that your relationship needs reconciled, needs to be brought back to this place, then leave. Just go. I don't care how long it took you to get to that altar. Go back, make it right, and then return. Spend a week instead of a day. It's worth it. Whatever it takes, we as Christians need to fix that relationship. We need to look different from the world. And I think in today's world, it's pretty rare a lot of times to see a difference between us as Christians and people that aren't. And I want there to be a different scene in us. We're looking this morning at how one of those differences takes place. So while the text this morning gives us specifics on how to fix relationships that need reconciled, okay, we're looking at that. How do you know that you're at the point of needing to reconcile your relationship? I have a few ideas here. How you know that you need to reconcile your relationship, okay? A couple different reasons, and there's a lot. I'm just saying a couple that have come to my head. So you know you're a redneck if uh, you, meet, you know your relationship needs reconciled. That's what I meant to say. You know your relationship needs reconciled if you avoid the person. So you don't even want to be around them or talk to them. So when you see them walk into the room, you definitely saw them, but you're going to move your eyes somewhere else, and you're just going to ignore that they're even there. You're going to avoid that person because it's way easier because I don't want to talk to them. Something has happened in this relationship. It's not where it used to be, and I'm just going to avoid them. It's okay for family reunions. Not okay for church. Might not be okay for family reunions either. But at church, our brothers and sisters, we should not be avoiding one another because of conflict. That needs reconciled. You know that your relationship needs reconciling if you actually enjoy their misery and talking them down to other people. If you like talking bad about somebody else, there's probably something going on there. And I learned this little trick um, when I lived in the South for a summer. Um, sorry if anybody is from the South. I know some one person is here. Uh, but there's a little trick that um, as long as you add, bless her heart, you can say whatever you want. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, Susan, she had to go, um, she had to go on unemployment because she lost her job because she was so lazy. Bless her heart. You know, now it's okay. You're allowed to say it because you said bless her heart because now I'm speaking some truth to her. No, that's not right. I need to fix this relationship with Susan, okay? Not good to enjoy the fact that she lost her job and to tell other people and to talk it up. Not a good thing. You know your relationship needs reconciling if you catch yourself calling them raka. There's a throwback word, only the... Christian nerds that grew up will know the word raka, I'm sure. But it is full. Okay, last verse we looked at, um, right before that, verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So you fool, raka is what it's used in the KJV, uh, which we don't really use anymore. ESV is where it's at. Um, but if we catch ourselves doing that, if we catch ourselves thinking all the time, um, wow, that, yeah, that per- they're, they're full. What they did, I mean, they're just dumb. They're stupid. It's not a good thing to think. But we do this, right? I do this. I've done this. And I might even be right. They might be dumb. They might have done something wrong. 
They might have done something dumb, but I can't think that. There's something here in this relationship that needs to be fixed, that needs reconciling. I should not be having these thoughts about people. You know your relationship needs reconciling if you're thinking of somebody right now. If there's somebody that keeps coming to your mind and you're hoping that I won't give an example that qualifies that person, that person is one of them. Okay? Reconciliation needs to happen with them. And this, I think, is hard to do, <laughs> Clevelander, because it's a lot easier for you to just cut ties with people. You don't want structure and you don't want to face these difficulties because there's plenty of other fish in the sea. There's plenty of other friends that I can make out there. Just as quickly as I moved to this city and made friends, I can just do it all over again. I can just keep hopping from one church to another until I find one that fits what I want. We can do that easily, right? (laughs) But it's because the city, a lot of us aren't from here. We don't have these long-lasting relationships where we grew up with our next-door neighbor and we still know them. Like where I'm from in Holmes County, Amish country, Ohio, those relationships run deep. You're not just running away from a relationship there. Because the whole town will know about it. Can't do that. You can do that here, but it's not biblical. It's not good. Within the church, we can't just defriend somebody on Facebook and then just defriend them in real life too. It's not what we want as fellow Christians. We need to be able to work through conflict, be a positive example, and be a light to the world. Romans twelve eighteen tells us, if possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. So again, reconcile that relationship if you're avoiding the person, if you enjoy talking bad about them, if you think of them as a fool, or if they're coming to your mind right now. That relationship needs reconcile. So we all know that we need to reconcile with people. The next question is, how are we going to do this? Very cautiously. It's a touchy subject. It's difficult to handle. Okay? It's difficult to call somebody out, to talk about conflict. And one thing I learned um, before going over to Rome where I was going to live with people for a year no matter what and deal with conflict is that you always want to start by sharing how you feel. I feel this way. Somebody can't argue against that. You don't just want to gang up on them and tell them all of their wrongs. And so you can always think about what you want to say and add, I feel blank when this happens. So if you think about it like that, you should never be able to say, I feel you're a jerk. Not a way to start a conflict relationship. Okay? Conflict management. Sorry. You don't talk like that. So an example, I think, also, just how t- we'll get into that a little bit more later, but how, um, how touchy this is, you know, Jesus tells us, Matthew 7, 3 to 5, just how sensitive this subject is. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So has anybody here ever cut wood and not worn goggles? You weren't from Amish country like me. Maybe you haven't. Um, it's the worst. It makes plucking your eye seem like a good idea when you have wood in there. It's not... Good, and it's very sensitive, and I think that's why he used this example, because when we approach people, it is a sensitive subject. And this takes us straight back, I think, to last week. So if you weren't here, again, like I said, listen to the podcast from last week. We'll make sure we get it up. We need to examine ourselves. We need to experience true forgiveness 
from Jesus so that we can give forgiveness as well. We don't just need to show a fault to somebody else because we feel wronged. Because maybe the problem wasn't even with the person. The problem might have actually been with ourselves. We don't just take every single conflict, every single thing that I feel wronged by and approach somebody about it. Mark gets at this in 11.25. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So if if you're praying, forgive them right there in your heart. Yeah, leave that altar. Go find them too. But right then and there, forgive them. Maybe you don't have to go find them. In the middle of your prayer, ask the Father to allow you to forgive them. Listen to the sermon again if it doesn't make sense. After that prayer, this is internal forgiveness, okay? You might still need reconciliation with your brother after you pray. But even in that prayer, maybe by praying for reconciliation, maybe by asking forgiveness internally with God before anything else, it might actually warm up that relationship. You might not have to approach them. Maybe the whole problem this whole time was with you, and it wasn't with them. So look internally first. But if that still doesn't reconcile it, if looking internally doesn't reconcile that relationship, you still have to do something. We're told to do something. If the internal change doesn't happen, then you need to take action. Otherwise, again, that's not showing love. It's not showing love to just let a relationship fall to nothing. You need to approach them. And this is even stemming from the Old Testament, Leviticus 19.17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. So don't let things fester in your mind. Don't let them fester in your heart. Don't hold a grudge. Don't be angry. That's comparable to murder, right? Jesus told us. So we need to approach the person in order to fix the relationship. And we do that, first of all, directly with the other person. Again, if internally it didn't make a change. Showing them their fault, Matthew 18, 15, in the text this morning. You and him alone so that you might tell him his fault. The Greek for this is elegho. So you can think about it um, as persuading somebody, exposing to them what has happened. Again, like I said, not saying you're a jerk, this is what you did. Saying, I feel, I felt hurt because this happened. Persuading them, letting them see what happened. It's not done in attack mode. It's delicate like wood in the eye. And it's done with a spirit of gentleness. Galatians 6.1 reiterates this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So don't be haughty. Don't be prideful. Again, you shouldn't be because you've already dealt internally with this. So you know you have forgiveness from Jesus, and now you can't forgive someone else only because of that. And so you're approaching somebody with care and with love so that they might grow in Jesus as well, like we said. And if he hears you, you won back your brother. You've mended the relationship. Reconciliation has come. Good. That's the goal of these verses. And again, the text is showing us here that this is to be done with fellow believers within the church. Really, other members, people that are committed to the church. I don't just talk to somebody, call them out on their sin if they don't even profess to be a Christian. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about with other believers in this case. 
And really, it should be easier. This should be a lot easier to approach a Christian than a non-Christian. Because I, as a Christian, know that I'm on this path of sanctification. I know I need to change. I'm the furthest thing from perfect. And so, if I really feel that way, if I know that I need forgiveness every day from Jesus, then I should be able to hear somebody that approaches me and tells me how I wronged them and hear it with an open ear and make a change. I know that I'm not perfect. I know I need to change. Proverbs confirms this, 9.8. tells us, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. So if I'm approached, it's my prayer that I won't end up putting up my human defense mechanisms here but instead I'd be wise and actually love my brother or my sister that has approached me so that I can grow in my relationship with Jesus. And this is not easy for me. I'm talking about me right now. It's really hard for me because I have more pride than maybe anyone I've met. I have a really good defense mechanism to not hear people give me feedback or criticism. So that's why I need to pray. I need to ask God constantly for a humble heart. I need that. And then we see verse 16, if that doesn't work, if one-on-one, if you haven't gotten back your brother, meeting them one-on-one, it gets a little more public. Again, first of all, it was internal. Secondly, one-on-one, and now a few witnesses. The end goal, again, is reconciling this relationship. That's always the end goal. The end goal is never to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. He's right, I'm right. It's never that. The end goal is reconciling a relationship. 1 Corinthians 5, 12-13. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So again, this is what is next. If after a few people, a few witnesses, there has still been no reconciliation, we go to the church, and it doesn't always have a good ending. Purge the evil person from among you. That's a little strong. I don't really like that. I'd rather not teach about it, but it's in the text this morning, so we're talking about it. And it told us in, in Matthew, you have to treat them as if they're a Gentile or a tax collector, somebody that's not saved. But again, it's not that bad when you think about how Jesus interacted with Gentiles and tax collectors. He interacted with them often, all the time. He didn't ignore them by any means. So we need to acknowledge the fact that if somebody still has not seen their error, they still have not realized that they need to ask for forgiveness for something. Okay? We've gone internally. We've gone one-on-one. We've brought a few people. We've gone to the church. There's still no change. Then what we as a church need to realize is that they should not be a member of the church because they don't have a spirit that is willing to grow in Jesus Christ. And What that leads to then is hypocrisy. There's no feeling of forgiveness or a need of forgiveness from their part. We talked about that last week. We need that forgiveness. It's a fruit. It's a fruit issue. And so that is the end of what we see there. Treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. Again, not ignoring them, just realizing that maybe they're not where we thought they were. This leads us to verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So this exact verse, the same words we just read a few weeks ago when Jesus is speaking to the disciples in the y'all form. We talked about that. Maybe you remember it now because of the y'all. Um, maybe the verse you didn't remember. That's okay. Um, but uh, again, I, you, we, the church, 
um, church leaders, not ultimate authority. Ultimate authority, the head, is Jesus Christ. And so, like I said a few weeks ago, the way that you could read this, the way it's written in Greek, would be more like whatever you bind on earth will be because it's already been bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth will be because it's already been loosed in heaven. And again, we are being messengers for Jesus. We're telling people, we're speaking the truth of their spiritual state, maybe. And so we're closing these final two verses, 19 and 20. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. What a promise that is. How amazing it is to know that Jesus is there with us during our time of seeking reconciliation for a brother. And the reason I think this is reinforced, reinforced at the end of the section here is because Jesus knows what this is like. He knows how hard reconciliation is. He went to hell and back, literally, to reconcile our relationship with God. It was perfect harmony, our relationship with God, before sin, before the fruit, before the fall, before our broken world. It was a perfect relationship. And then, you know what? We fell apart. We turned into that bicycle and the alleyway. And it needs fixed. And we can't fix it on our own. Only Jesus can fix it. Only Jesus has reconciled our relationship with God. And we can only now know God because of what Jesus has done. And Jesus, he was separated from the Father and the Holy Spirit for those three days. He knows pain more than anybody. He knows how hard it is to reconcile. And again, I think that's why we have this promise, that Jesus is there during this time of seeking reconciliation for one another. So in conclusion, don't forget, you need to constantly fix your relationships. When a relationship requires reconciliation, first examine yourself internally. Examine forgiveness. The forgiveness that God has given you and that forgiveness that you can now give to others only because of what God gave you. And if that still doesn't reconcile, then with humility, with gentleness, approach your brother one-on-one. Only bring in witnesses if it's needed. And then only bring in the whole church if it's needed. And remembering, again, that Jesus is with us every single step of the way. And how is Jesus going to be with us? Maybe the biggest thing that we need to take away and apply is the biggest thing here, and this is something that I do not naturally do when wanting to reconcile, is pray. Prayer needs to be happening throughout this entire process. If we are ever going to reconcile with our brother, it's not going to happen on the words that I say or how well I formulate it. It's going to happen because Jesus is there and Jesus will be there because we're praying about it. We need to be saturated in prayer during this time if we have this conflict that we need reconciliation with our brother. Listen to God. Be attentive to the Holy Spirit. And then we need to act accordingly. Let's pray. God, again, this is so familiar to us. We can see so many faces as we talk about this that it can make us uncomfortable. 
And I thank you for making us uncomfortable, God. I thank you for revealing to us relationships that we need to fix. Relationships that have gone so far away that we need to reconcile them. And God, we know we cannot reconcile it without you. So help us be in prayer. Help us seek you more than anything else. Help us seek you more than wanting to be right. Help us seek you more than feeling wronged. God, we need your guidance. We need your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit daily, moment by moment, so that we can be an example of your love to the rest of the world, so that we can stand apart in Cleveland, so that people can see those people at Gateway Downtown and know that they're different, realize that they work through stuff, they love one another. Even if they look like misfits, they love one another. They're a family. God, we want to be a family. We're your family. The body of Christ. We want to be those members. Help us, Lord. Be those members in your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.